Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 21st of April 2011. I always suggest at the start of the show, or this broadcast, I try to get out of the habit of seeing show, because uh, um, it's not entertainment, and uh, uh, it's really a, a, an attempt, hopefully, that uh, to help some people uh, take some knowledge off into the future, whatever future that may be, because I try to go into what's behind all the systems rather than just parrot off what's happening by the day, uh, which is dished out by the media anyway for you to, to parrot off. So hopefully you go into cuttingthroughmedics.com and help yourself to the audios there, where I try to give you some leads to the big system, which you're born under, really. You're born into a system, and you're born under a system, a system which has been here for a long time, uh, with very powerful, wealthy people, of course, running with something called an economy across the world, who can rise a nation up to the top or sink it if they want to. They've done it on and off down through the centuries, and empires as well. And you're simply going through the stages of the big shake-up towards the global empire as they finish off the last few. They're tidying up, really, the last few places that aren't quite under their wings yet. And they're using military force. They're using food as a weapon in some countries and other techniques to make it all happen. You live in a planned society, a planned world society. And so I, hopefully you'll help yourself to the audios, as I say. There's hundreds to choose from. And you can also get transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given uh, on all the sites on the com site there, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll see all those sites listed. They all carry transcripts in English. And you can also get into Alan alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. So help yourself to those. And remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. So help me just to tick by here and keep trickling on, as you might say, uh, until it's all over, of course which will come eventually as we go on to uh, the new next stages of the big global society, which must, by its very structure, be authoritarian and tyrannical initially to bring it all under and reshape us into the new society. That will, that will definitely come. So uh, buy the books and discs I have for, for sale uh, from the U.S. to Canada. You can use a personal check to Canada, and you can also use an international postal money order from your post office. You can use PayPal to order. Use the donation button you'll see. Follow it with an email and with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Remember, two straight donations are certainly, certainly welcome. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, again, and PayPal to order. Use the donation button followed by an email, name, address, and order. And this system, again, you're born into it. Every generation is born into the system, and they think it's quite natural because their parents accept it. Their parents don't think there's anything wrong with it. They just see things happening as they go through their lives, as you yourself eventually do as well, with uh, big things happening, which are given uh, simplistic answers uh, for, for, according to the media. And, of course, you never, ever clue in, generally, that there's a big, long-term business plan on the go, 
And the part that you play in your own lifetime is a tiny little part, all designed to go in a certain direction to bring in this big world society uh, of communitarianism, an authorized planned society, which eventually will be very rigorous in its um, authoritarian regimes uh, that rule over it. There's so many systems, systems already set up to deal with it and bring it in. In fact, they're training us right now, and they're training the children who will go a lot further than what they'll accept in a totalitarian way than we would ourselves. You always go for the children to make sure they get it first. And they don't mind going through uh, scanners. They get trained at school, uh, fingerprinted and ID'd for their dinners and so on. And they'll go through all the rest of it with, uh, without much hassle. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. As I say, this big system you're born into is so complex because you could spend many lifetimes just going over the information which they themselves make available even today with the internet. And you'd get grey in each lifetime before you got halfway through any of them because there's so many, there's thousands of organizations out there and hundreds and hundreds of major foundations running a parallel government basically where they hire NGOs and lobbyists to get what they want. And they're tied in with big, big, big banking. They're tied in with guys like the Rockefellers who go way back towards the same uh, group, really, that helped start it up for America. Uh, Actually, they were there before Rockefeller came along in the U.S., actually, but he took over. And the, the idea in this little club was to take over the world and its resources and eventually run it in a, like a form of, um, they call it a, a sort of beneficent dictatorship, you might say. They see themselves as being beneficent towards societies and how they know better how you should live and you're too silly and stupid and not evolved enough to do it all yourself, you see. So they decide you need experts to, to run the world and run your own lives, in fact, for you and tell you what to do and so on. This is not a new concept. This is an old thing going back to the old societies, even from the 1700s and 1800s. And you'll find they had utopias planned. You'll find the ones that tried in the United States, quite a few of them, in fact, uh, many of them being financed from London, England. And you can also find that uh, they, they, they tried it on smaller scales. Even Voltaire tried it at one time. He, he tried it over a certain area that he took over with workers and people who lived there, and they had to come to him, in fact, to ask for if they'd get married, and he would say yes or no according to how he, he, he saw the two to be, that kind of thing. It was very much, uh, uh, so they called themselves benefactors of all things, and they made sure it was like a factory town system where everyone was employed under this guy who owned it. Ford tried the same thing, by the way. Uh, with his, his car companies, he knew every every member who worked it for his corporation right down to the bottom level. And when there was something happening in a domestic dispute, he would go to the workers' home and get involved right there on the spot and put both of them straight, basically. And that's how he ran it, too. A very old idea. But from these these particular people, of course, they also had a, a big global club, uh, and a very old club, centuries old, and they planned, as I say, to not only take over the wealth of the world, but the resources too. 
and they eventually would set up organizations which would distribute it to the people, while they themselves, of course, would keep the power by having the ownership titles of, of, of all the resources, basically. And so they formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs for Britain and the Council on Foreign Relations for the U.S., and they had a Canadian branch, uh, Australian branch, New Zealand branch, one in India, and it's still there, and a few other ones, too, across the world, to, to as fronts, basically, that would eventually go under uh, a, a world government. They set up the United Nations as they had the League of Nations before them, and people tend to think of the United Nations as some guys, through all the propaganda they've given out, some guys that just walk around giving blankets and food to people, and there's nothing further from the truth. It was set up to basically through treaties and binding treaties become the boss over countries, which is actually happening. They can actually find countries now, just like the EU. In fact, the EU uh, is still subservient to the United Nations. So they wanted trading blocks in the world, the United Africa's, they wanted uh, a united uh, Europe and a united America, just like Karl Marx did before, because he wrote about it a long time before. Same agenda, and it has a socialist flavor in that uh, people at the bottom think they're going to get something back from all the cash they pay into it through taxes and so on. But in reality, at the top, it's more of a fascism where experts uh, and so on, and the better class decide that they will uh, rule your lives for you. But you definitely run by a communistic-type government. And it will get more and more ridiculous as they unfold their plans to the, to the people and the countries and so on. For instance, in, in Europe now and in France and other countries, you get massive fines. Your country gets fined if you fail to comply or keep up with certain quotas they give you for whatever from the European Union, the big Soviet guys that run them now, and uh, and they comply with this. Now, who pays that? It's the taxpayers who pay for it all. They're getting nothing back. They're getting screwed into the ground with every massive fine that's brought out. And I'll touch on that later on tonight. But you understand, as I say, the media, again, uh, was brought on board. I've gone through some of the history of when the Rockefellers, the Goulds, and the Morgans got together to do studies. They paid think tanks to do studies to find out how many newspapers in the U.S., for instance, they'd have to buy up to make sure that that uh, the media all gave the same spin on the same stories at the same time, thus forming public opinion. And I think they came to the, the conclusion that 22 would be enough, and now it's even better because everyone's getting it from Reuters and AP, which are really one company owned by the Rothschilds. Uh, so you're all getting the same spin, same news, and so on. Everyone's in the pockets of the same uh, characters, and it's hard to find the truth on anything. When it comes to war, they can always drum up the reasons for war, even though it doesn't seem logical to most people who are thinkers. Many people truly are not thinkers. They, they do believe the media tells them the truth, and, um, and they go along with anything. But the few thinkers that are out there uh, are often surprised even when a year, two years later, even more, they'll announce the truth about why they went to war. But it doesn't matter by then. You see, they've, they've already achieved their goals. The whole intent in war is to get into the country, take over its resources, and then they'll say, well, we can't pull out now because there's no active government left. There's no this, there's no that. We've destroyed it all. We have to stay here and rebuild. That's your typical strategy that you get told. So... There's an article out, of course, and it's about, it's, you've probably seen it already. It's from The Independent. It's been all the newspapers. It says, plans to exploit Iraq's oil reserves were discussed by government ministers as politicians 
and the world's largest oil companies the year before Britain took a leading role in invading Iraq. And I've already mentioned this link uh, earlier on in the week. It says, the papers revealed here for the first time raise new questions over Britain's involvement in the war, which has divided Tony Blair's cabinet and was voted through only after his claims that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. Well, we'll, we'll remember that at least. But it says, the minutes of a series of meetings between these politicians and senior oil executives are at odds with the public denials of self-interest from oil companies and Western governments at the time. The documents were not offered as evidence. Of course, this is what they do too. You think nothing's rigged, and uh, these are all the same. In the ongoing uh, Chilcot inquiry into the UK's involvement in the Iraq war, they kept this back. In 2003, just before Britain went to war, Shell denounced reports that had held talks with Downing Street about Iraqi oil as highly inaccurate. And BP denied it had any strategic interest in Iraq, while Tony Blair described the oil conspiracy theory as the most absurd, like the good little psychopath he is. But documents from October and November the previous year paint a very different picture. Five months before the March 2003 invasion, Baroness Simons, then the Trade Minister, told BP that government believed British energy firms should be given a share of Iraq's enormous oil and gas reserves as a reward for Tony Blair's military commitment to U.S. plans for regime changes. And by the way, that's why he ended up getting all all that cash given to him after he left office. These are all kickbacks. It says the papers showed that Lady Simmons agreed to lobbyish the Bush administration on BP's behalf because the oil giant feared it was being locked out of deals that Washington was quietly striking with U.S., French, and Russian governments and their energy firms. Same thing as it's happened already before they went into Libya. Minutes of a meeting with BP Shell and BG, formerly British Gas, on 31st of October 2002 read, Baroness Simons agrees that it would be difficult to justify British companies losing out in Iraq in that way if the UK had itself been a conspicuous supporter of the US government throughout the crisis. And the Foreign Office invited BP in on 6th of November 2002 to talk about opportunities in Iraq uh, after they would re- change the regime. So it's all done. Everything you hear in news is done in advance. All the deals are made in advance. Everything. It says, it's minute state, Iraq is not the big oil prospect. BP is, is, uh, or Iraq is the big oil prospect. BP is desperate to get in there and anxious that political deals should not deny them the opportunity. So, to, you know, to the victors, the spoils before they've even invaded. After another meeting, this one October 2002, the Foreign Office's Middle East Director, at the time Edward Chaplin noted, Shell and BP could not afford not to have a stake in Iraq for the sake of their long-term future. We were determined to get a fair slice of the action for UK companies in a post-Saddam Iraq. Whereas BP was insisting in public that it had no strategic interest in Iraq, in private it told the Foreign Office that Iraq was more important than than anything we've seen for a long time. Not bad when you get it free too, eh? Well, actually paid for the taxpayer and, and the lives that cost too. BP was concerned that if Washington allowed total finals elves existing contract with Saddam Hussein to stand after the invasion, it would make the French conglomerate the world's leading oil company. BP told the government it was willing to take big risks to get a share of the Iraqi reserves, the second largest in the world. Over 1,000 documents were obtained under freedom of information over five years by the oil campaigner Greg Muchet. Uh, they revealed that at least five meetings were held between civil servants, ministers, and BP and Shell in late 2002. 
It says the 20-year contract signed in the wake of the invasion. There you go. They made it all in advance for 20-year contracts. Were the largest in the history of the oil industry. They covered half of Iraq's reserve, 60 billion barrels of oil, bought up by companies such as BP and CNPC, that's China National Petroleum Company, whose joint consortium alone stands to make $403 million profit per year from the Rumelia field in southern Iraq. Last week, Iraq raised its oil output to the highest level for almost a decade, 2.7 million barrels a day, seen as especially important at the moment given the regional volatility and loss of Libyan output. doesn't stop the gasoline from going up, 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 does it? You know, we're screwed one way and screwed the other. Uh, but it's all planned that way. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back. Cutting through the matrix. It's, it's quite astonishing, really. It's always astonishing, really, when you when you see uh, that after these big things happen, big wars are caused, and we find out what happens years afterwards. Of course, we always suspected what was really, what was really going on, uh, regardless of the denials from governments and so and such. But uh, it's amazing that the most folk don't really care after the event, and that's just an odd thing with humanity. Uh, they don't really care. Like They've been taught already, in fact, that past news is of no significance to them at all. And then they're all uh, getting up and, and cheering on color revolutions that they think are spontaneous uprisings from disaffected peoples across the world, uh, never realizing it's the same game going on today. And the big boys come in and they benefit because no one else will benefit, believe you me. They've got everything marked out, what they want, how they're going to rule the countries, the puppet governments that they shall replace them with, and so on and so on. It gets rather disgusting, but that's how folk are. You know, most folk today can't even remember that Japan, they remember the tsunami because they all watched it in Google and went, oh, wow, oh, look at that wave, oh, just like the movies, you see. And after, of course, the media stopped talking about radiation, then it was gone from their, it was deleted from their memory banks. Uh, and that, unfortunately, is what happens when people are perfectly indoctrinated and they're domesticated. By domesticated, I mean perfectly indoctrinated. They're trusting, they trust everything they're told, and they see no reason to be suspicious of anything, and they're quite content with their state. Now, I've talked too about this new system that brings on more and more scientists. A lot of uh, government work now is just uh, farmed out to private corporations and think tanks, etc., etc. But they've also started bringing the scientists on board. They call them quite openly. They call them czars because uh, they're nice, nice Soviet term. And uh, it says in, from this article here from the Daily Caller, it says in marked contrast to vows as a candidate that not to use presidential signing statements as an end run around Congress, President Obama released a statement on the Just Signed Spending Bill saying, despite the law's restriction on SARS, uh, czars, he, he will construe the law not to interfere with presidential prerogatives. Uh, that's a nice way of saying that he'll alter and wangle it round. Uh, the move is an aggressive power play by Obama to gain an added advantage from the deal struck a week ago between the present Republican House Speaker John Boner and Democratic Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid to narrowly avert government shutdowns. 
The legislation prohibits government money being spent on four Obama czars, uh, newly created positions with far-reaching sway over federal agencies, but facing no confirmation vote in the Senate, or anybody's vote for that matter. However, some of the czars banned in the bill have already stepped down, and it's unclear whether their replacements will be appointed. Well, you can guarantee they will be appointed because it's happening across the world and every other country too. Obama, in his signing statement, says a provision in the legislation prohibiting funding for the salaries of the four czars runs afoul of the president's well-established authority to supervise and oversee the executive branch and to obtain advice and furtherance of this supervisory authority. The signing statement vaguely refers to an unconstitutional or a constitutional line that might have been crossed. Legislative efforts that significantly impede the president's ability to exercise his supervisory and coordinating authorities or to obtain the views of the appropriate senior advisors violate the separation of powers by undermining the president's ability to exercise his constitutional responsibilities and take care that the laws be faithfully executed, the statement says. So anyway... They, they prattle on about uh, the pros and cons, and, and they'll get his way, of course, because they've got to have these czars on board across the world, just like every um, established um, prostituting newspaper out there has to have an environmental czar on board as well. That's so some petty little journalist that could never make a living uh, doing any real journalism, since mainly what they do is just hand out stuff and repart the stuff from the United Nations. So we're not living under democracy any more than the countries that were supposedly pushing it on in the Middle East uh, will get democracy either. It's never really existed. It's a nice idea, but uh, it, will, it, never, it will never happen unless the public themselves truly have governments that work for them, not the other way around. In Japan, of course, as I say, when the media stops talking about something, it's like it never happened and that's all you need for most folk today because they are perfectly conditioned. And it's interesting, as I say, that they pulled all the major websites down, the official websites from different governments and monitoring stations uh, that were giving us the different levels of iodine and cesium and plutonium and all the rest of it. Uh, were all pulled down one after another each time we put them up. And now you can't get access to any real data at all except a little bit of what's happening in Japan. And luckily, some of us have served, uh, saved all the different um, uh, uh, sites when they had the radiation coming over the Americas. It's still coming over the th- because it's, the things are still smoking and steaming away, by the way. And the media is not going to talk about it. We're not supposed to know. Why, why worry the children? That's their attitude at the top. And um, they want you to concentrate on other things. And they also want you to keep working and, and don't panic and... Because if folk really knew what was happening, uh, they might start thinking and, and not go to work and stuff like that, stop buying stuff, and the economy would fall flat in its face. So they're going to work to you to the end, and you're going to see, and this is not just, uh, I'm not saying this because I like saying it, it's just a fact with the amount of radiation that's been released here and still going on, and see, I'll, I'll keep going for at least 10 months, they say, before they can do anything, and up to the year 2015 before they even attempt to encase or bury this stuff, that smoking is steaming away into the atmosphere, maybe five, six kilometers high, and then blowing across uh, to the Americas. They won't be encasing it till the year 2015, maybe. That's reassuring, eh? But now they've got radioactive iodine found in the breast milk of the Japanese mothers. Well, you'll find it here too, unfortunately. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix and going through some of the media, but then again adding to it and and uh, and so on. And this one here is an article is about the radioactive iodine now in mother's breast milk in Japan. And of course, it'll be elsewhere wherever this stuff is blown as well, because we were getting massive doses coming across uh, the Americas and Canada uh, before the sites were actually pulled down. I've kept as many as I could here, in fact, uh, at the different graphs showing the different levels of cesium and so on. And um, the very reason that they pulled them uh, from the public's view is obviously because it's so high that they don't want us to, to know. Simple as that. We're supposed to be, sim- be happy, buy, spend, work, and, and so on. You know, Obvious. But it says here, the government faced uh, calls for a full investigation into the impact of the nuclear disaster on mothers and babies following the discovery. The radiation contamination came to light after tests were conducted on breast milk samples taken from nine women living northeast or east of Tokyo. Four of the women were found to be contaminated with the highest reading of 36.3 becquerels of radioactive iodine per kilogram detected in the milk of the mother of an eight-month-old baby in Kashiwa, Chiba Prefecture. There are no current legal safety levels for radioactive substances in breast milk, okay? Like, they don't know. They, they, they don't, you know how many tests they've done uh, even before that atom bomb in World War II uh, and, and the tests they did on individuals uh, to find everything that could happen with all kinds of radiation? They've all been done. They know all this stuff. Anyway, it says uh, there's no current legal levels for radioactive substances in breast milk as set by the Nuclear Safety Commission of Japan. It says, however, the breast milk readings were below the safety level of 100 becquerels per kilogram of tap water consumption by infants under one year of age, and no radioactive cesium was found. Well, I don't really believe any of that, because they upped all the safety limits. And now, if you've got a safety limit, an old safety limit, that meant anything above the safety limit was obviously dangerous. And we know that all levels are dangerous, but especially for infants as they're growing, because the cells are constantly splitting so quickly and dividing and multiplying. That's when you get to the... The, the deviate cells coming out and you know where all that leads. So, but that's the kind of little bits they give you about it and no one's really hunting for information. The, the press has been told to ignore it and sure enough the public will ignore it too. They'll remember something in a year or two's time kind of vaguely uh, about a big wave coming in because uh, that's what uh, awes them basically. They like that kind of stuff just like the movies. I just think that movie, Deep Impact, that they showed to predictive programming, even taught you in the movie, too, uh, how they would eventually draw straws or lottos for the, a few folk at the end who would be lucky enough to be saved in the underground es- des- establishment. But they also told you that all the elite ones, who were really important for a future society, would all get free seats right away, of course. Uh, you at the bottom would get a, a lotto. Isn't that nice? And that stuff is actually taken from from various scenarios they've already worked out in advance from years ago. And this Soviet EU, of course, that's not happy enough with Britain, 
um, and the, the, the poor status has, has come to with massive taxations and so on and bankruptcies and bailing out bankers like America and Canada. This is the last straw for British taxpayers, £400 per, per family demanded by the economic union uh, Soviet system. Uh, so Downing Street reacted with fury last night after the Eurocrats demanded an inflation-busting budget increase which would saddle British taxpayers with a £10 billion EU bill, the equivalent of £400 per household for the first time. That's on top of all the other... I don't know how they live over there now. I really don't. The European Commission ignored David Cameron's demands for belt tightening and demanded a 4.9% budget bump. Uh, uh, how do you people put up with this? I can remember when they put out all this stuff. Oh, you got to join the EU. You'll be left behind. You'll all be left behind. All the benefits you're going to get out of it. <laughs> well, the government's making cuts at home. British taxpayers will be told to pay an extra £682 million to Brussels, where the annual cost of Eurocrats will soar by £5.5 billion to £117 billion a year. What is that? There's a jump for you, eh? From £5.5 billion to £117 billion a year for the Eurocrats. I guess that's for all the big parties and prostitution things that they all engage in all the time now. So that's really what's there. You understand we're not in any kind of democracy, but the EU definitely was never set up to be a democracy. Never, never. Even ex-communists have come out, or people from ex-communist countries at the heads of some of these countries saying that this is actually more Soviet than the Soviet Union, and they're quite right about it. Another article I want to touch on, and I don't like touching on it even, I've mentioned the mobile phones so many times and mentioned that anyone who uses them is a stupid fool because I've, I've read articles over the years where the big boys have told you they're monitoring, tracking you and tracing you and all the rest of it, but folk just can't put them down, they've got to get them. Now they're all up in arms again when, they, when, you, when you get the, the new um, latest articles to do with your, oh, not only tracking and tracing you, they're keeping, they're storing your records in the phone uh, for a hundred, well, weeks or so many years or whatever, and the cops can access it anytime. Well, so didn't you, didn't you suspect that? Didn't you suspect that stuff? I mean, you've already had all the other warnings. The whole point is to bring in a controlled society where everyone is predictable. They must make sure that you are predict you are going where you normally go on that particular day. You're talking to who you normally talk to. You talk to someone different. They want to know why, and they'll put that little that information into the little in the virtual reality you they have set up in, in their big computers, where they actually do scenarios and put you through tests in your virtual world to see how you'd react in different situations. It's there for you to help them. It's not there so that you can yap all day and text each other. So I'll put up the link tonight uh, from the guys who discovered it and to, to tell you how they found out that they had this extra capacity as well of storing all the data for about a year or so in that tiny little thing. But uh, if, you, if you, folk won't give them up anyway, they'll, 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 they'll forget this quick enough and get used to the fact they're being even more than just monitored and triangulated and tracked. And they'll carry on, because that's how most folk are. And also, in this article here in Britain, phone workers are facing the axe, meaning getting fired, are told that they can move to the Philippines. Uh, and it includes, by the way, a rice allowance. No kidding, me. Eh? Actually, you might be better off taking that than staying in Britain, the way it's gone. 
It says workers facing the axe at a mobile phone company being offered alternative employment in the Philippines. Staff at the Orange Customer Service Centre in Darlington, County Durham, say they were even given details of a rice allowance they could claim as part of the transfer package to work for IBM in Manila. Orange, which last year merged with T-Mobile to create everything everywhere, recently confirmed that 40 staff would be affected by plans to outsource some work abroad. A long way from Darlington. Anyway, it says here, uh, the Darlington jobs are being moved to the firm's service partner, IBM Bay, 7,000 miles away in the Philippines. And the staff were told they could move to the new customer services hub in far eastern country. They're also offered alternative roles elsewhere in Britain or in Britain if they can move, eh? So it says a small number of the staff have accepted the severance packages while others have moved jobs. I don't think it's a bad idea moving to the Philippines. And you should get rice and maybe you won't get taxed the same way as well and put up with the awful frustration of, of just bad news and more taxes every week. Who knows? Yeah. And an article from the Herald Sun, Australia, says a proposal to require food labeling of even tiny quantities of genetically modified ingredients would result in all foods being labeled as possibly containing GM material and industry bodies, says Matthew Cosy. Uh, Chief Executive of the Pro-GM Plant Science Organization, CropLife, said companies would do that to limit liability for possibly breaching labeling laws. He said testing was sufficiently advanced to show up even tiny quantities of GM material in food. I would think you would need uh, nearly uh, to get to to the safe position that they simply put on label and on everything that this may contain GM material to ensure that they don't expose themselves to any action, he told the parliamentary committee. In other words, everything, all food, is contaminated, and so they'd have to label everything just in case. And it says Green Senator Rachel Seward suggested this was an admission that GM material was right through the food supply chain. Uh, That's what you're arguing, she said. Mr. Cosby uh, Cosby agreed, but he added that GM material hadn't entered the food supply chain until it was proven to be safe. Uh, and there's so much stacks of, of stuff on the fact that it's, it gives, it causes tumors and rats and their stomachs and intestines and other uh, mammals too. And then, of course, it was up to us and we we're also a, a bigger mammal, that's all. So in a way, everything pretty well is contaminated by the looks of it. And to be honest with you too, uh, when they announced in Canada that Canada had been eating the stuff for 10 years as the guinea pigs for the world, that was years ago, and it, and it only broke out because Tony Blair was deciding to try to bring it into Britain, and the British were complaining. And one NGO mentioned the fact that Canada had already been eating the stuff for 10 years. No one had told the Canadians. eh? No one had bothered to tell the Canadians. And then, of course, it came out with an admission after this happened, uh, and the Canadian government admitted it made secret agreements for 10 years with Monsanto and some other company to test it on Canadians. Then the National Health Service would monitor our health and, of course, wouldn't tell us the results either. And... um, most folk in Canada didn't care. Uh, it's astonishing because uh, a few years after that, I went into one of the biggest, uh, the biggest grocery chains uh, they had there. It's called Zers. We need roller skates to get around to the place. And um, I asked the, the manager uh, what was organic, what was non-GM vegetables, and he literally said, and he was honest. You could tell by his face he was stunned. He says, "Well, to be honest, you're the first person that's ever asked that." He says, I don't know myself. And that tells you how people are, doesn't it? It says an awful lot about people. 
because they all saw the same news as I did. It was in the same newspapers. And one article or two I want to put up tonight is is from uh, What's Up With That, who does the climate science and disproves a lot of the bogus stuff they're always on about. And um, it says here, the United Nations disappears 50 million climate refugees, then botches up the cover-up. It says, uh, it's, it's government idiocracy at its finest. Not only is the original claim bogus, the attempts to disappear it are hilariously inept. Apparently, they've never heard of Google Cash at the United Nations. Rather than simply saying we were wrong, they've now uh, brought even more distrust onto themselves. On April 11th, Gavin Atkins of Asian Correspondent asked this simple question, what happened to the climate refugees? Because in, in 2005, it's all over the newspapers, there was going to be 50 million climate refugees in a few years' time. And it says... Uh, uh, the, the, two, the United Nations Environment Program predicted that climate change would create 50 million climate refugees by 2010. These people, it was said, would flee a range of disasters, including sea level rise, increases in the number and severity of hurricanes, and disruption to food production. The UNEP even provided a handy map. The map shows us the places most at risk, including the very sensitively, uh, sensitive low-lying islands of the Pacific and Caribbean. So he shows you, too, what they said about their population is going to skyrocket in the, in the Caribbean, and he shows you the census figures of what they actually are. But he also manages to show you uh, the cash from Google of the map, which the UN pulled off, by the way, after it was mentioned on the, in the press recently, they pulled off the map, but they, didn't, they forgot that there's a, another part of Google you've got to go in for the, for the better map. They keep that stored, of course. They didn't know that the United Nations... So he's managed to give you links to all that here, and you can see it all for yourself. They're always giving us scary scenarios eh, to get what they want. That's what they say in their own writings. We must give the public scary scenarios or they won't listen to us. The only refugees we're getting now are economic refugees and lots of refugees from all the wars across the, the various countries that we're at war with right now, which is pretty standard. Now, there's callers there. There's Luke from uh, Vermont on the phones. Are you there, Luke? Yeah, I am. Thanks for taking my call. Yep. Um, so back in high school, I'll just tell a quick story. Uh, I was in psychology, and uh, uh, the teacher started talking about binary beats mm-hmm. uh, for anxiety. Yep. And uh, uh, just a little glimpse into my mindset back then, I was, I was always talking to, about how we need to reduce the world's population because I was up to my eyeballs in propaganda, mm-hmm. as I now know. So I was all over this binary beat stuff. Yep. Uh, and, um, well, now, uh, I, a couple of days ago, I was playing Xbox Connect, and yep. uh, I was playing this this game, and at the same time, I was grazing on the Alex Jones show mm-hmm. uh, with my iPhone, which was in the other, which was in the corner of the room, yep. and the signal cut out, and he was talking about the police state. And I was debating in my head about how serious this police state is because my dad says, you know, there's, no, there's nothing to worry about. And he says that, uh, you know, me, me worrying about the new world order is, is just me being a scaredy cat and there's, there's, nothing to free, there's nothing to be concerned with. Mm-hmm. But I'm debating this in my head. Uh, and right for about 10 minutes, the, the signal from Alex Jones was cut off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Right as I, 
I allow myself sort of to see it his way and say, oh, well, yeah, yeah he's probably right. Uh, that moment where my thought process went there, the uh, his signal came right back on, and binary beats, for sure, mm-hmm. binary beats, I'm sure it was, yeah. um, started pumping out of the Xbox, and I could hear it in the whole room. And it's just this low, like, thumping, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm being ultra aware here. Uh, just trying to put that out there because I heard you talking about Xboxes and connects and 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 uh, mood mood things with it. You know. Oh yeah, uh, well, there's no doubt about it. Of uh, Google have put up articles. I've got them all stored here too. Uh, articles over the years where they've admitted that um, uh, while they were working on a helmet, even to that would literally um, stroke your brain, as they called it and polish different parts of your brain uh, so you could interact with the computer and the games. They also did, admitted they had one uh, at the same time they're working on where the frame of your screen would be that, that basically antenna that would beam the stuff right to you. You wouldn't even need a helmet. And I think they're way, way beyond that, to be honest with you, too, looking at the, some of the stuff from Russia they were testing out even back in the, in the early 70s. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're way beyond anything that they're actually telling you. And just like you find out later on, uh, there's different uh, little chips put in the, your cell phones and all the rest of it to store all your data uh, for them to use, not you. Then, of course, they're going to do the same with games and all everything in, in any computer you buy now, too, that they'll never tell you what it's really all about. It, it took them 15 years to admit that uh, laptop computers... Uh, they, they tune in every so often to hear what you're saying. They simply turn the mic on, and uh, they've been doing it with, with thousands, maybe millions of people, uh, and unbeknownst to themselves, that it's even happening. So it's the same with everything. Uh, you got to understand that everything, everything that comes out electronically today is part of the military-industrial complex that, that does go along with all the government's demands to embed chips for their own um, uh, access. They must be able to access everything that you're doing from all electronics, right down to the smart meter that literally detects what you're using and how much you're using it for and so on. But hold on, I'll come back after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix and, and it's, it's not far-fetched at all. You, they have enough movies out now showing you stuff that they've probably had for many, many years. Also predictor programming too to get you used to, to being monitored and watched. That's all part of what movies are about as well. It's showing you how far they are with so much of this stuff. But of course, the, literally the, the, the old idea of reading the mind, that's come out with the Royal Society recently. I touched on the article the other day there, gave the website too. It's on CuttingThroughMates.com. If you look into there, they're talking about all the things, how it's going to totally change society, and even down to the legal stage where they to be able to predict if you've got a bad motive before you do something. Now, that's remotely. That's passing all this, this these um, gadgets and embedded chips that are going to be all over the place and interacting with each other, the Internet of Things, like they call it. And they've already got this stuff up and, and pretty well running. And they're going to go a lot further with it, too. It's going to change all of society, they said, and the way we behave, because we'll know our, our thoughts are being monitored down the road and our intentions. So it's not far-fetched whatsoever as to what's actually been happening today. Yeah. Now, we'll go to David in the UK, if he's still there. Hello, David. Hello? Yes, David. 
Hi, how are you? Not too bad, yeah. We're hanging in there. Yep, hanging in, hanging on, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to know, um, the, uh, um, you're talking about the Philippines and, and that agenda. That's a Jackson Tally, right? That's the, you know, Jackson Tally wrote about in the future Americans, but he, he really means the industrialized world, I assume. That's right. They'll be leaving in boats. The next boat people will be the people from the west going to the east looking for work. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's already going on now. Like, uh, And it has been for some years, yeah. yeah. It has, yeah. And I don't know, I mean, is that is that basically, you know, I, I think of it in the context of they're rewilding everything. You're right, they're, going, they're rewilding. Um, uh, but but uh, a way of people over from the you know into the the, the, the new derivatives if you know what I'm saying the mm-hmm. new of the world that they they want to create that's right uh, if you were to check out how many people have had already moved to China for instance and uh, and other countries teaching English or whatever they can teach whatsoever or do whatever they can do they've already been doing it for many years now and lots of them contact me in fact and um, and they're glad to have left uh, the old countries they're just going down the tubes so uh, it's been happening, uh, and what they'll do with the rest of them that can't get out, the, 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 I think Atali and others have mentioned they'll take the creme de la creme, uh, those with the highest university qualifications, uh, uh, but the ones who are left behind will simply get corralled in, I think, and eventually you'll simply die off of one thing or another as we all go down the tubes. That's, that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's like Japan, like Japan... I keep, every time I think about the agenda in Britain, I think of Japan, mm-hmm. because their population is, is just collapsed. It's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's a mess, it's, you know. But it's it because of, it, it, you know, the Nazis said, it doesn't matter whether you live in a democracy, a republic, or a parliamentary system, it's the leaders, the decision of the leaders. And a long time ago, in the 19th century, the, the emperors of Japan basically decide to, to destroy Japan off. Like, you yeah. can see that in the film The Last Samurai. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Well, yeah, America, modern Japan was created during World War II. Actually, in 1942, they came up with the plans of a post-war Japan that would lead the world in electronics, but only for a certain amount of time. And you're quite right. And now they no longer hold the American debt. It's now China holding it. They don't need them anymore. You're quite right. But thanks for calling. That's the end of the, the, the talk. So from Hamish myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.